Nehemiah tonight, the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 2 tonight. And we began looking at Nehemiah. We looked at Nehemiah's prayer last week. Uh, something we're going to notice about Nehemiah, though, as we go through this book, is that he is a man of prayer. Everything Nehemiah does is going to be bathed in prayer. Everything he does. Which is <clears throat> quite an anomaly because he's also a man of action. He's going to build a wall in 52 days that hasn't been built in 100 years. He's going to pull it together. He's going to make it happen. And he's, he's obviously going to push shove uh, and refuse to quit, refuse to be disturbed, refuse to stop doing the work uh, and achieve it in 52 days. But he's a man of prayer. In fact, he spends four months praying before he does anything. Now, thought struck me as I was preparing for this. He spent four months praying, and then he did the work in 52 days. So he spent twice as long praying as he spent working. You know what? I think there might be a pattern there for us. The problem for us is, though, we don't want to do that. We want to throw off a quick prayer, get involved, uh, run with it and do it. And oftentimes we end up pushing against the will of God because we've never really taken time to find out what God wanted to do in the situation. So Nehemiah is this enigma. <clears throat> He's, his profession uh, is a cupbearer. We'll talk about that in a minute, but uh, he's a servant at table, more than a servant at table. Uh, he, his profession is a cupbearer. Uh, he's going to do the work of a builder, build the city walls. That's, that's kind of an engineer's job, right? Um, but alongside of that, he's a man of deep prayer. You know, so it's kind of, how do you get your head around this character? He comes at it from all sides, and he, uh, he, he makes things happen am amazingly. Now, <clears throat> even the world recognizes this book of Nehemiah uh, and takes some of the principles of his leadership from this book. But the world will tend to miss when it's talking about Nehemiah, the fact that uh, Nehemiah was not the man that he's made out to be. Nehemiah did not succeed because he was a great leader. Nehemiah did not succeed because... Uh, he was just a particularly wonderful kind of man. Nehemiah succeeded because he was a man of deep prayer. And he walked with God. And he heard from God. And he did God's plan and God's will. Now, you know what? <clears throat> you don't have to be a Nehemiah. You don't have to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. In fact, you don't have to do anything great. But you know what you can be? You can be a man after God's own heart. You can be a man that follows after God, and you can see God do great things through your life. God can take and use you and do mighty things through you if you'll just follow him. Here's what I'm constantly amazed at. You know, <clears throat> we always think we need to come up with a plan when there's a problem, don't we? You know, we have to find out how we're going to get out of this. We need to, <clears throat> we need, uh, to, to, to plan our way out of this problem, and, and we need to work it out and come through it. And, and um, we apply our minds and our effort and our energy to that. Do you realize that God already has all the plans? God knows what he's doing, how he's going to do it. He has it all worked out ahead of time. Do you know what we really need to do when we have a problem? We need to actually come before him and find his plan, not our plan. Because here's the thing. I've had some great plans. I've got loads of great plans, right? <clears throat> uh, all kinds of plans that go through my mind and so on. And, and um, <clears throat> I mean, I've learned. I've learned over the years that instead of acting on my plans, what I do is I tease them out with the Lord. And so often, my great 
fabulous, wonderful plans get kicked to the curb because God says, yeah, nice plan, Dave, but no, we're not doing that. And you say, well, that's a bit of a pain. It is a bit of a pain sometimes because I get involved in my plans, right? But the other thing is, it's actually a blessing because I'd have to hate to devote time, effort, and money uh, into a plan and find that God eventually said no to it. But you know, it's only spending time with God in prayer that actually does that for you. It's only spending time seeking his face. George Mueller, <clears throat> the great architect of the, uh, <clears throat> the, 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 the children's homes in Bristol, um, <clears throat> the, the, the man that fed those children, fed them through prayer. Do you know he had a... Uh, when, he came, when he came to prayer, he would never really start praying about something until he had first of all prayed and discerned the Lord's will in it. And that could take him quite some time. One of the things that he applied to, uh, to, to his problem of finding God's will is he would, he would read through the word until God spoke to him from some passage that told him, yes, this is my will, go ahead with it. And on one occasion, they say that he read through the Bible three times before he actually found God's will for what he wanted to do. But here's the thing about Mueller. Once Mueller decided it was God's will, <laughs> he would start to pray about it and nothing could stop him. Once he found out this is God's will, he would dig in and he would pray and pray and continue to pray until it happened. And if you've never read the books on George Mueller's life, you should read them. Uh, Read read one of his biographies. It will stir your heart and stir your faith uh, to believe in a God that answers prayer because he does. But it wasn't just random. Mueller would find out what is the will of God in this situation and then he would go after it. I think, unfortunately for us, is very often what we do is we find a good plan. And we say, this, you know, this has to happen. And we just tear into it and try and make it happen. And very often, we end up falling on our faces. We end up being in the wrong place as far as God is concerned and not achieving all that we would like to achieve or all that God would have us achieve. All right, that's a word of prayer. And we'll begin uh, in chapter 2 of Nehemiah. We're going to cover half of it tonight. Father in heaven, would you bless us tonight, Lord? Um, we look to your word, we look at this man, Nehemiah, and Lord, it's so easy for us to attribute power and greatness to this man when, Lord, in all honesty, we we have to confess that the power and the greatness lie only in you. And, Lord, if Nehemiah was a great man, he, he was great in that he sought your face and that he heard from you and that he followed your will and that he had your good hand, your strong hand upon him. Now, Lord, would you bless us tonight, Lord? Lord, we don't want to beat the air with our lives. We don't want to spend our lives spinning our wheels and just achieving uh, what we think is great. Lord, we want to actually achieve something uh, that is great for you, Lord. Whether the world thinks that it's great or not is not the point, Lord. The point is we want to achieve what you have for us. Now, Lord, would you help us to be a people of prayer, a people that seek your face and pray to you until we know your will, and then, like Nehemiah, Lord, do it with all our hearts. And Lord will thank and praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 1. And it came to pass in the month Nisan, uh, in the 20th year of Artaxerxes, the king, uh, that wine was before him, and I took up the wine and gave it unto the king. Now, I had not been aforetime sad in his presence, right? Now, uh, verse 11 of chapter 1 has already told us that he's the king's cupbearer. Now, uh, we need to kind of talk about the idea of being the king's cupbearer for a second, because we could think of the king's cupbearer as being kind of the butler. But he's more than that. 
Um, he, he's the one that's, that, that manages the king's food effectively. So the king would have to have a tremendous uh, amount of trust in this man. Because remember, the reason the king had a cupbearer, had someone to taste his food, was because he knew full well there were people who would gladly do away with him. Uh, there were people who would gladly assassinate him. And while we all long to be kings and we all long to be great people in the world, you know, <clears throat> what we don't tend to take on board is the fact that uh, with the greatness comes enemies. And uh, you look through history, you look through English history, and look what happened to the kings of England uh, and, and the other kings around the world. It was a dangerous job. Uh, because there were always people that, were, that were, would, would gladly have taken your life. Now, uh, <clears throat> if you could just get the king's cupbearer on side, it, the easiest thing in the world was for him to slip a poison into the king's food, into the king's drink, and the king was gone. So when it came to the cupbearer, he's much more than a servant in that sense, uh, much more than a butler. He's uh, somebody who's got to have the highest integrity, somebody who uh, the king has to trust ultimately, somebody who's, who, who can't be, be bought. Right? And so the king has to put, put, put real trust in this man. Um, but he's also a servant to the king. He's responsible for uh, choosing most of his foods and choosing what he would enjoy, uh, would, would enjoy. And he also was a trusted advisor to the king. You see, because he was the man that stood by the king's table as the king ate, uh, the king would often ask his opinion on something. And it would be hard for a relationship, a friendship, not to build up there. And he, he, he would become one of the king's advisors, sometimes uh, <clears throat> the most trusted advisor. A man like Nehemiah would have been a very valued advisor because he was a wise man. Uh, he was a godly man. He was a man of integrity. He was somebody that the king could trust. So uh, <clears throat> Nehemiah has a, has a high position uh, here uh, in the king's household. And... Um, <clears throat> But God tells us here in, in chapter 2 and in verse 1, And it came to pass in the month Nisan, in the 20th year of Artaxerxes, that the king had wine before him. Now, do you know very often we're not told when something happened in the Bible? T take the birth of Jesus that we've just sung about. When did it happen? You're going to say it happened on 25th of December. Well, <clears throat> that's a lovely thought. And some people would actually make a case for saying that it did happen on the 25th of December. Uh, but we don't know. The Bible nowhere says the day that Jesus was born. It doesn't give us that information. It doesn't tell us uh, <clears throat> when he was actually born. And on this occasion here, <clears throat> we're given very specific time. Now, I think there's two reasons that we're given the very specific time. And I think the first one is actually the more important. Do you know <clears throat> uh, that the month Nisan uh, is four months after the month Chislu in chapter 1 and verse 1? God wanted us to know something. He wanted us to know that Nehemiah prayed for four months. And we looked last week <clears throat> that he prayed and he fasted and he sought the Lord and he prayed in the nighttime, that, <clears throat> that uh, day and night he prayed that he sought the Lord <clears throat> and he was seeking the Lord for the city of Jerusalem, for the walls that were broken down. This man had immersed himself in prayer for four months. Do you ever pray for four months? Do you ever pray with one burden on your heart for four months? Do you ever get, get in the place where you just couldn't quit, you couldn't let go, you, just, you were just crying out to the Lord? Now, it's possible that some of you have. It's possible that some of you had a burden, some of you had a need in your lives, and, and you prayed like that. But, you know, in this man's life, the need is not personal. It's not that his wife is dying. It's not that one of his children is sick. The need is the walls of Jerusalem are broken down, and they have to be rebuilt. 
It's God's cause that is such a great burden to him that he spends four months praying and seeking the Lord for it. Now, like I said, I think it's that's very significant to us in the sense that the fact that he spent four months praying is the reason, I believe, why the wall was rebuilt in 52 days. And I think we need to learn a lesson from that, that we need to seek the Lord and seek his face. That we need to actually seek his plans and not our own. That we need to go after him. I think we could, we, we could avoid a lot of the trouble in our lives uh, if we would just spend time seeking God. Or what would you have me do in this? You know, <clears throat> we make plans and decisions for all kinds of reasons. We'll make plans sometimes because we're upset. Well, that's it. I'm not doing that anymore. And that's the end of it. And we'll, 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 we'll turf something out the door. And it's just because we don't feel like doing it anymore. And, you know, we've made a decision. Where was God in that decision? Well, he didn't. It was my decision. And much later, sometimes we find that was a wrong decision. That was the bad decision. Sometimes we'll make a decision to uh, make a move in our lives or do something in our lives. And, you know, we haven't sufficiently considered it with the Lord. We haven't heard from him on it, but we're going to do it anyway because it looks good to us and we think it's a great idea and, 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 and we'll, we'll, go and we'll do it. No, we need to be a people that seeks the Lord. You and I live in a broken world and we don't know anything we don't know what's happening tomorrow. We don't know how it's happening next week. We certainly don't know what's happening this time next year. We have no idea. And we need to understand. We need to talk to the one who does before we make all our plans. We need to talk to him. Because he knows things that he may not tell you, but he may just say to you, no, that's not a good plan. So we need to seek the Lord's face. We need to seek his face. What would you have me do, Lord? That's the first reason. I think God wants us to know that it was four months that Nehemiah was in prayer. The second reason is this, and I'll just read you this. I think it's fascinating. Now, my maths are not good enough to actually prove all this, so I'm just going to read it to you. Uh, The date is also important because it establishes the date given to restore Jerusalem and its walls. Daniel 9.25 says that exactly 1,000, sorry, 173,880 days from this day, which was March 4th, 14th, 445 B.C., Messiah, the prince, would be presented to Israel. So Robert Anderson, the eminent British astronomer and mathematician, makes a strong case that Jesus fulfilled this prophecy exactly to the day, entering into Jerusalem on April the 6th, 32 A.D., precisely 173,880 days from Nehemiah 2, verse 1. Now, that's fascinating to me. I obviously can't prove it for you. Uh, I can't prove it for myself. I can't prove it for you. But is God capable of doing that? Definitely. Is God capable of working out figures so that they work out exactly to the day? Absolutely. God can do absolutely anything he wants to do. He can take and he can work it out. He can take and he can plan it out. You see, the future is not future to God. God knows what's going to happen. He knows what day it's going to happen. He knows all of it. And that should help us with our first point too. You know, God knows where my life is going. He knows what's going to happen in my life. He knows the day I'm going to die. You know, he knows what I'm going to face between here and the day I die. He knows all of it. He knows everything uh, about my life. And you know what? It just behooves me to walk close to him because I don't know that stuff. And I'm not likely to know that stuff. I need to know, okay, Lord, what's your plan? Because my best plans can fall on their face. And yours can too. And God says, you need to come to me. 
because I know what's going on. I know what's, what the plans are. And you're like, you need to come to me and hear from me. And <clears throat> we need to be diligent in doing that and spending time seeking his face. Don't just take your wild plan and run with it because you may very well regret it. Take it before the Lord. Lay it out before him. You know, <clears throat> if, if you'd known some of the things you know today, 10 years ago, you'd have made different plans in your life, wouldn't you? <clears throat> you'd have lived differently. Well, you don't know those things. You don't know what's going to happen in the next 10 years, but you do know the one who does. And while he may not actually tell you what's going to happen, he will give you wisdom about how to plan your life if you're willing to listen to him. You know, <clears throat> what we find about Nehemiah 2, and we're going to see it again and again, he's a glorious mixture of go and patience at the same time. He's an, he's an amazing mixture of he's going to do it and nothing's going to stop him and he's going to keep pushing until it happens and absolutely nothing's going to stop him. But on the other hand, he's got this glorious patience about him. Four months seeking the Lord. Oh, Nehemiah, he could have been down, built the walls and been back two months ago. No, he couldn't. He needed the Lord. He needed to know what the Lord wanted for him. And you know, <clears throat> we need actually those two sides to us. We need to be very active people, doing and seeing things achieved, but we need to be a people who are active in the will of God. We know what God wants us to do, and we're spending our time doing that. That's the key to success, isn't it? You don't, you don't know how life's going to go, but he does. If you can get, get his leadership in your life, and you can do what he wants you to do, then you know what? You can make your life count. And if you don't, you can spend a lot of time spinning your wheels. You can spend a lot of time just doing the same thing over and over again. Don't do that. Spend time with him first. Find out what it is that he would have you uh, to do. <clears throat> okay, verse 2. Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Then I was very afraid. <clears throat> right, now, Two problems for Nehemiah here. First, first thing is this. You're, you're not allowed to be sad in the king's presence. You say, why is that? Well, here's the reason. Because the king is wonderful, fabulous, marvelous, fantastic. And you are privileged to be in his presence. And it's not allowed for you to actually uh, look unhappy in his presence. So even if you didn't feel very happy going to work, you made like you were happy. Because remember... Uh, <clears throat> The king could take offense with you at any time, and he could decide, that's it, you'd lost your job, and there was no <clears throat> um, labor court that you could go to to get your job back. He, he could decide off at your head. And there was no court, higher court, that could actually overrule him. He could just do it. So when Nehemiah comes in before the king, and the king looks at him, the king says, you're sad? What's going on here? Nehemiah is terrified. Because the king could take offense. Second reason is this. He's been praying for four months for God to move in this man's heart. He's been asking, we looked at that last week, he's been asking God uh, to give him favor in this man's eyes. He's been seeking God and seeking God's favor with this man. And now the moment has come. The king says to him, why are you sad? What's going on, Nehemiah? You know, <clears throat> uh, he could take offense on the one hand. 
But if he doesn't take offense, Nehemiah's going to have to come up with the goods, come up with the plan, come up with the, uh, what he wants right now. And this is, you know, his one-off opportunity. He doesn't get to come back at this four or five times. He gets a one-off opportunity to ask the king what it is uh, that he's looking for. So he's sore afraid. He's afraid, right? <clears throat> and I said unto the king, let the king live forever. <clears throat> Why should not my countenance be sad when the city, the place of my father's sepulchres, lieth waste and the gates thereof are consumed with fire? Right now, so he says, well, yeah, okay, live forever, king, but you know what? Why wouldn't I be sad? The city, the, uh, the place of my uh, father's sepulchres is, 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 is in ruin. Now, <clears throat> this is actually clever uh, working of the situation as far as Nehemiah is concerned, right? It's not wrong for you to be uh, clever. It's wrong for you to, to lie. It's wrong for you to go against what God would have you do. But do you know that the, <clears throat> that the Persians had a particular care for their dead? Everybody does, by the way. But the Persians were particularly careful about their dead. And, uh, and they had a particularly, uh, <clears throat> uh, as far as looking after their dead and looking after their burial places and so on, it was a big deal to them. And so Nehemiah is talking Artaxerxes' language here. He's saying, why well, wouldn't I be sad? My, my, my pe- the city of my people's sepulchres, it's ruined. It's in a waste. He's, he, he's talking, he's actually connecting with him, and he's, he, he's touching him uh, in a place that he understands. Now, it's, you, you know where you'll get that ability to do that? You know where you'll get that kind of insight into the people you're dealing with? You don't get in a phone call. You get it in prayer. God will give you ideas of how to deal with the difficult people in your life. Do you know that the difficult people in your life are not difficult to God? Do you know that the difficult people in your life are <clears throat> not beyond His control? See, Proverbs tells us that the king's heart is in the hands of the Lord, and as the rivers of water, He turneth it whithersoever He will. Do you know that there's nobody in your life that God can't take and turn his heart wherever he wants it to do? And if you've lived any length walking with the Lord and, and praying, you've seen him do that. You've seen him take and turn people's hearts. You've seen him, seen him take and, and change people. They were adamantly against something, and then all of a sudden they're for it, and what's happened? Well, God stepped in and God turned their hearts. God did something to change their minds. God did something that, that, that turned them around. Because our God is in control. He's in control of all of it. Now, <clears throat> you know, Nehemiah could have set himself out to manipulate the king and to, uh, to, to, to work his plan in the king's eyes. That wouldn't have worked, though. But he prayed. He prayed that God would turn his heart, that God would uh, turn him around. <clears throat> and that's what God has done. But in, in amongst it, God gave him insight how to lay out his case. We're going to see God gave him a very detailed plan of how this is all going to go. Uh, but also God gave him insight into how it was going to go. One of the things he's going to do is he's going to come at it from the angle of, not I want to rebuild that great city, Jerusalem, where we once ruled the world, uh, we were a dominant power in the world. That would not have flown. The Persian king was the only ruler of the world. And he was not, le- not allowing any other <clears throat> rule to be set up. Now, Nehemiah's not lying because that's not what he's trying to do. He's not trying to rebuild. Uh, Jerusalem will make it a superpower again. Because it had been a superpower in its day. <clears throat> what he's trying to do is take care of his people. 
take care of these people that are back in Israel. Take care of the place that is of such precious memory uh, to, <clears throat> to Israel. And so what he's saying to him is, um, <clears throat> the city, the place of my father's sepulchers, lieth waste, and the gates thereof are consumed with fire. Then the king said unto me, For what dost thou make request? This is the moment he's prayed for for four months. What do you want, Nehemiah? What are you looking for from me? What do you want me to do for you, Nehemiah? What do you do in that moment? What do you do in that moment when you've prayed for something and all of a sudden the gun is put to your head and it's, okay, tell me. Well, you do exactly what Nehemiah did. Look at the rest of the verse. So I prayed to the God of heaven. Now, <clears throat> Nehemiah didn't say, excuse me for a second, I'll be back in the morning, I'm going to have a prayer meeting, right? <clears throat> there wasn't time to do that. You know what Nehemiah did? Nehemiah said, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. And you know, <clears throat> there's some prayers where we get to spend a long time, and sometimes that's really good for us to spend a long time in prayer. Sometimes it's really sweet for us to just pour out the whole thing before God and, and, and tell him about the need and tell him about the burden. And God does all kinds of things in our hearts during those times, but sometimes you're not going to have time to do that. Sometimes it's going to be a, Lord, help me. I need you with me right now, Lord. I've got to talk to this guy. I'm, I can stumble over my words. I could forget some of the things I need to say, Lord, and I won't get a second chance to come back at this. Lord, help me. So here's the thought. It's not the volume of your words or the length of time that you spend praying that actually is the deciding factor in it. There are times when you should spend a lot of time in prayer, and there are times when you should just cry out to the Lord. <clears throat> and when you cry out to the Lord, you can expect that God's going to hear you. And you can expect that God can hear, and God can answer, and God can work in your life, and God can change things in your life. You just cry out to the Lord in your need. Lord, help me. Lord, I need your help right now. I need, I need you to give me wisdom. I need you to uh, guide my tongue. I need you to show me what I should do and what I should say. Lord, just, 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 just right now, Lord, I need you. Cry unto the Lord, and he will show you great and mighty things. And it can be a short prayer sometimes. So, you know, <clears throat> don't get discouraged if you, can't, if, if you can't actually spend a long time in prayer. You can just cry out to the Lord. Now, <clears throat> Nehemiah is going to give us a detailed plan. I, I don't think he came up with it in that moment, by the way. I think Nehemiah has been in his mind's eye walking around Jerusalem, thinking through the problems, praying about the problems, asking God, what are we going to do about this, Lord? And Lord, what about this? And Lord, what about this? And teasing it through with God, and I think God's been giving him insight, and God's been giving him insight, and God's been showing him what to do, and God's been telling him what he needs, and God's been showing him the plan. You see, remember, God's got all the plans. He's not looking for a plan. He's looking for a servant to execute the plan. God's not waiting in heaven uh, for you to come around with your plan and, <clears throat> and thinking, oh, great, that's a great plan. God's looking for a servant to execute the plan. Somebody who will say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. See, when I get to heaven, when you get to heaven, uh, we're, we're looking for a well done, thou good and faithful servant. What's a servant? Somebody who does what they're told. Now look, <clears throat> that's not hard. It's hard for us because we have this nature that wants to go the other direction. 
But you know what? I don't have to come up with the plans. I don't, I, I don't have to do it. I don't have to build the church. Jesus is doing that. You know, all I need to be is a servant. I need to be somebody he can depend upon to do what he wants to do. And then one day I'm going to go to glory, and if I've been that kind of a servant, and if you've been that kind of a servant, he's going to give you rewards, crowns, jewels, position, power in heaven. And you're going to say, oh, Lord, look, all I did was what you told me. And he's going to say, yeah, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Because that's all it takes. See, he's got the plans, he's got the power, he's got the resources. All he's looking from you is a willing heart. All he's looking from you is somebody who will say, yes, Lord. And so don't let's get it wrong. Don't let's kind of take the wrong angle here with Nehemiah and say, well, Nehemiah's a great man, he's got a great plan. He, he, he had a plan, he worked the plan, and man, did it come together. Yeah, Nehemiah worked the plan, but it wasn't his plan. And definitely it came together, because God's plans always do. I think the children of God waste a lot of time on plans that are not his plan. I think we get ourselves in all kinds of trouble because we're thinking we're serving him, but we're doing our own thing. And God says, no, I want you just to be a servant. Just do it, humble yourself and do what I tell you to do and you'll be fine. And when we do that, all of a sudden we see success and we think, well, how did that happen? Well, that happened because God's got great plans. That'll happen if you'll just submit yourself to him and be willing to serve him and let him have his way in your life. Now, let's look at this plan of Nehemiah's, right? Um, <clears throat> verse 5. And I said unto the king, so he prayed to the God of heaven in verse 4, and then I said unto the king, if it please the king, and if thy servant have found favor in thy sight, that thou would send me unto Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulchres, that I may build it. Right? Now, <clears throat> Nehemiah is a valued servant slave. There's not much difference uh, in that day and age. Right? <clears throat> Basically, the king owned everybody, but he particularly owned the people that, uh, that served him. Right? And Nehemiah is a valued servant slave. This is outrageous. You're looking for a sabbatical? You're looking to go away and work on these walls in this city that I've never been to? You've never been to? What's on your mind, man? But he's going to ask. He's prayed about it, and he's going to ask. He's going to say, oh, will you send me unto that city uh, uh, that I may build it? And the king said unto me, the king, the queen also sitting by him, for how long shalt thy journey be? How long do you need? That's promising, isn't it? That's hopeful. You ask for a sabbatical, you ask for time off, and, and the king says, okay, <clears throat> how, how long do you need? And, <clears throat> and, uh, and when will thou return? How, how long shall thy journey be? And when will thou return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. I said, I'll be back. It doesn't tell us when he said, by the way. But we'll say he said, I'll be back in two months. Right? <clears throat> but I set, the, uh, I set him a time. Moreover, I said unto the king, if it please the king. He doesn't stop there. It's not just looking for time off. Because Nehemiah knows, okay, so I get to Jerusalem. Right? The stones are all there. going to be fine for stones. Like they got lots of stones. Because you couldn't move the stones of the wall around away. They all, wherever they fell, they were. But I need to build gates. What am I going to do about building gates? 
I'm going to need wood to build these gates. And you know what? There's dangerous territory between here and there. I need protection. I need letters. I need licenses. I need a passport to travel through this land. I'll need some people to protect me as I go. And so he's going to lay out this whole thing before the king. Um, verse 7, Moreover I said unto the king, If it please the king, let letters be given to me to the governors beyond the river, that they may convey me over till I come unto Judah. Right? I want safe passage. So he asks for safe passage. And a letter unto Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the palace which appertain to the house and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall enter into. He's planning on building a home uh, in Jerusalem. And the king granted me according to the good hand of my God upon me. Now let's read verse 9 and then we'll come back to the good hand of God upon him. Uh, Then I came to the governors beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. So he sent a guard to guard him. It's an 800 mile trip. It's through who knows whose territory. You don't have a system like you have today. We don't value the system of law and order that we have enough. You know, we complain about the guards and the police force and everything else and sure... Everything is not perfect. You've got imperfect human beings in them. But you know what? You can travel from here, here to Cork and nobody's going to stop your car by the side of the road and get you out of it and take your car. In those days, that was more than likely to happen along the way. And so Nehemiah is given a, a, a guard to take him there. He's given a, a detachment of troops to actually take him uh, to Jerusalem. <clears throat> He's given uh, the letters uh, he needs uh, for, for safe passage. Uh, he's given his leave of absence. Uh, and he's given all that he needs. He's given a letter as much as he needs. Let him take it. Let, let, let him take it. In fact, we're going to see that, he, that he's, he's able to take uh, sheep and anything else he needs. He has a letter in his hand from the king of the world that really is a blank check. Whatever you need, Nehemiah, you go get it. It's okay. I'll, I'll, I'll cover, tell them to charge it to me. It's no problem. And it really was no problem uh, <clears throat> to Artaxerxes that, 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 that he could do it. Now, now, how did this all come about? How could this all happen? How could you see something great like that happen? Well, look in verse 9. <clears throat> Sorry, verse 8. And the king granted me according to the good hand of my God upon me. Do you know that Nehemiah didn't take credit for what was about to happen? Because he knew it wasn't him. Nehemiah didn't say, you know what, I'm the man. I'm the builder. Nehemiah didn't say, look at me. Nehemiah didn't hold lectures on leadership after he had been uh, finished building the wall. Nehemiah said it was the good hand of my God upon me. It's God that did it. God did it all. I teased it out with him in prayer. I spent four months praying. I spent four months seeking his face. and Oh, he was so gracious to me. And he gave me a plan. And he told me what to ask for. And he worked it all out. And when I went and asked the king, instead of taking my head off, the king said, yes, 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 yes. You can have it all. And I'm sure Nehemiah was pretty nervous in that interview. But you know what I'm also sure? I'm sure in faith he knew he was getting it all. 
I'm sure in faith before he even went in, he knew God was going to give it to him. He knew the king was actually, somehow God was going to work it out that he got all the stuff that he needed, that he could make this happen, that he could work it out. I'm sure he knew that. Now, do you think you and I could operate on that basis? Do you think we could? Is that just a story in an Old Testament book that uh, <clears throat> shows us what a great leader Nehemiah was? Or is there a lesson that you and I need to learn? Is there a lesson that we need to take into account? Is there a point where we need to understand that you know, our flesh dependence doesn't help us at all? In fact, it gets in our way. That our flesh dependence so often has us spinning our wheels. When if we would look to him and ask him for plans, what would happen for you is, because it happens to me all the time, he would say no. No, I don't think we should do that. But you know what else he would say? He would say, I think we should do this though. And when he says, I think we should do this, what you've got is, you've got something God is going to accomplish and he's going to give you a piece of what he's doing. And you know, <clears throat> all of us in this room want to have an impact on, on this world. None of us want to just pass through this life, you know, and just kind of drain out of it at some point and, uh, and it be over. Everybody in this room wants to have an impact on this world. Everybody in this room wants to do something that's going to be memorable. If not to many, at least to a few, we kind of daydream that we might do something that would be memorable to many. It's part of being human. It's part of the way God made you. And, <clears throat> you know, the only way you and I are going to do something memorable in this broken down world is if we get the mind of God. And then we get the good hand of God upon us. And then we see God do things. You see, because he's the God who opens doors and no man can shut them. And he's the God who shuts doors and no man can open them. Revelation chapter 3. He's the God who can make it happen. You and I can't. And when we put ourselves in his hand and seek his face and go his way and find his plans... We become instruments in the hands of a mighty God. We become people who are people of great destiny. Because the great God, the one who made it all, the one who runs it all, the one who planned it all, the one who owns it all, can take and use us. And I honestly think there's precious few people in the world who can use like that. See, Nehemiah wasn't a great man. Nehemiah was the great servant of a great God. And you can do that too. 